Welcome to Comadres y Comics. Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Comadres y Comics. This is episode 178. We're your hosts, I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Hello, welcome back, listeners. We are so excited for a new episode of Commodity Comics, and thank you so much for supporting us. Let's get right into it. It's time for Chisme de la Semana, and I have some chisme. I think this happened during Super Bowl, but the Flash movie trailer was presented to the masses, all the DC people, <laughs> all the comic book people, all the I love Batman, and maybe I could also possibly love the Flash. The Flash trailer came out and I was feeling some type of way. I was just like, I don't know if I want to support this film because of all the atrocities by the, what, what is his name? Ezra Miller? Ezra, yeah. And I was just like, mm, I don't know. But then I saw the freaking trailer and let me tell you, there's no spoiler because everybody else freaking saw this, but Michael fucking Keaton as Batman. What? I just was like, just my jaw dropped to the floor and I'm like, oh my God, you know what? I wasn't going to watch it, but now I am. Oh, I didn't see um, that part in the trailer I watched. What? I don't <laughs> know what I watched, but I didn't see him. I'll have to <laughs> look at the Super Bowl one. Oh, that's I saw Ben Affleck. Yeah, Ben Affleck is Batman, but because they're doing the all Because they're doing reality, the, the, the paradox. Yes. First of paradox. all, fuck Barry Allen. I'm tired of this storyline. I don't care who plays him. I am tired of the storyline of him going back to save his mother. It's done yes. over and over and over and over. It's 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 overdone just like origin story of Batman and the origin story of Spider-Man. And I thought that they can do this whole show or movie anyway because of what was going on. I don't know. I wasn't following it. I just thought it wasn't coming out. <laughs> I don't even know what he did. I just know that everyone was upset. So, but when I, when you said you were going to talk about it and you said the trailer was out, I went to go watch a trailer, obviously not the one that everyone saw with Michael Keane in it, but I was like, this story, seriously. And I was telling Sarah earlier, I'm like, does Flash not have any other interesting stories besides this Flashpoint story? Like, I, I'm just annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, first of all, totally Flashpoint was Wally West's story. Oh, yeah. So, drop uh, that down. Fucking DC, like, because no, it's, it's really funny because a lot of the stories and a lot of the ones that they used in the Flash show, mm. that was all Wally West. They just gave it to Barry Allen instead. Oh, got it. Um, mm -hmm. Same thing with, like, it's just, I don't know why they're so, like, gung-ho about, like, forcing Barry Allen. Like, that's it. Like, it's, or, well, yeah, probably when the reboot happened, like, all of that stuff, when they rebooted the DC Comics and everything, they're like, okay, so this was this was a hit, but instead of being at Wally West because we reset anything. This all now happened to Barry Allen instead of uh -huh. Wally West. And now Wally West is boring. So it's like, to be quite honest, yeah, Flashpoint is the most interesting thing that has ever <laughs> happened to 
Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe they're getting some of the storyline from the Flashpoint Paradox, but they already did the animated movie for the Flashpoint Paradox. So I don't know. Like, And know they did it in and... the TV show. Like, it was a huge thing. You don't even know how many people came into the shop looking for Flashpoint when they started talking about it on t the TV show. Mm. Yeah. Well... Like I said, the thing that blew my mind is definitely Michael Keaton. It's sort of like a nod to like the 1980s kids that loved Michael Keaton as Batman. It's Are we getting Val Kilmer? Kind of <laughs> no, Val Kilmer. <laughs> 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 oh my God. What, George Clooney too? Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Imagínate. No, <laughs> But that would have been a good storyline. It would have been a totally bit different, cool storyline. And Bat, what is it called? Superman doesn't even exist in this rift in time, the timeline, but Kara does. So it's kind yeah. of interesting. But I, the, I think I, I thought I saw John flying I in the one that Kara. I saw. In the okay. one, no, they, they didn't show Kara in the one I saw. They just said, I heard them say, you're not Superman. And she said, my name's Kara, but she wasn't on screen. I just heard her say oh. that. But at the end, two Wallies were in a plane and there was a Superman flying oh, yeah, next to the plane. Yeah. That oh, was it Kara. looked like it was a guy. It looked like it was a boy. So I assumed it was John. I'll have to rewatch it. I didn't see blonde hair. It looked like a boy. No, Kara's actually a brunette in the movie. From oh, with short hair? Yes. Okay, then that's who I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't see starting, anything because I don't watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> no, I watched it online. I only got to see half of the Super Bowl because we were recording that day. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't watch any of it. I, was, I, was I used to go to... back and watch the commercials and the halftime yeah. and... Not this year. I didn't care. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I All right. I'll have to rewatch it. I'll have to look up specifically the one that was shown at the Super Bowl because whichever one I saw didn't show Michael Keaton. So I'll have oh, to. Or if it did, I completely I missed it. About that. That, that is interesting. Yes, I was going to also say at least I was able, I mean, I didn't catch the full Super Bowl thing, but I did catch Frank's a taco station that he made for <laughs> the Super Bowl snacks. <laughs> yeah, they look great. <laughs> it looked really good. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the cheese made, guys. Whether you watch it or not, or whether you saw the trailer, please let us know what you think. I was not going to be on board for this because Ezra Miller, but now that they have Michael Keaton, I'm like, I love all that nostalgia, 1980s slash 90s kids type of stuff. Like, I love that stuff. I'm such a sucker for that stuff, actually. But that has been our cheese made. All right, guys, now it's time for On My Radar. Kristen, what is on your radar? So On My Radar is a book called Blue Book, and it is going to be the new release from James Tinian. 
And as you know, James Tinian is knocking it out of the park with these these horror books and I horror I love horror it's my favorite genre and this book is going to be coming out February 22nd and it is an interesting take on the comic book it is a science fiction slash non-fiction comic book in these books, it's called Blue Book, and in these books, they are going to be depicting true stories of UFO abductions with an eye to capturing the strange essence of those encounters. And in the debut issue, Tinian's going to present what he calls his true weird stories, tales of ordinary people encountering the strange and the impossible. He's teaming with artist Michael Avon Oming, and they retell some of the most popular UFO and alien encounter accounts, starting with the infamous Betty and Barney Hill abduction, which it's so infamous, I don't know about it. The widely publicized (laughs) and very first abduction that went on to shape and influence all future encounter stories. So I think this is really cool. I'm not a big UFO believer or anything like that, but I am super interested in the stories of people who claim to be abducted. And so I'm really interested in this book and it's James Tinian. He has done no wrong in any of the books that I read by him this year. And so Blue Book, it will be out February 22nd. That is coming up. Make sure your your comic shops have already ordered people. So if you want it, hit them up now. Let them know you want it. If they haven't ordered it yet, at least they have some time to try to get it in. That is super exciting. I do believe that we are not alone and I want to believe. So this sounds really <laughs> cool. <laughs> this sounds super it is, cool. Yeah. I was just like science fiction, nonfiction, but you literally just said science fiction. I was just like, how's that going to work? But then you explained it. It seemed like it's going to be separated into like two different stories in one book. And yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, because <laughs> Alien abductions are so funny to me, mostly because a lot of it could be like, like you can say like people are crazy, or if this did happen, then aliens just aren't impressed with us because they like <laughs> came here, they abducted somebody, and they put him back. Like if it's all real, that means like they don't care. Like it's they don't like- care. They're just so, like. It's like my mom during the holidays when she was a child and there was a box of C's candy. She would literally stick her tongue up the middle of it in the bottom to see if she liked it. And if she didn't, she'd just put it back from the top. You couldn't tell. (laughs) That's what the aliens are doing. They're sticking their tongues up our asses and they didn't like it. So they put it back. They put us back. Oh no! <laughs> so that's like, cause I'm like you, like I'm definitely kind of like also like on like whether ghosts are real or not. I'm like on that edge. I'm just like, no, they're not fucking real. But maybe who knows? I don't know. Like the universe is big and infinite and ever expanding, but also we're super far. So if aliens exist, they're really, really fucking far, or they already came and went, and they're like not impressed. <laughs> so that's my take on that. I, I think it. it's fun though. 
I love it. Oh my God. I do not understand the whole C's candy. Like there are some unpopular flavors. Why yeah. do they keep reproducing them and putting them in the mixed box? <laughs> because that. some people like it. them. Enough yeah. people like them. I guess so. Yeah. Like, that's why I, I now, my mother and I have started a whole new tradition. We go and we build our own box. That's no good. more buying this nice. shit that nice. half we don't nice. even nice. like. We go, and on and also, I won't accidentally bite into one that she stuck her tongue into. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, I, like, like, there's this place at the mall that like does that as well. And I like have ate in most of them except these three because the little description was like, it's this flavor. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> so I haven't eaten them yet. <laughs> you know, when I run out of the good ones in the C's mixed box, then I'll go and I'll bite the ones that I know I'm not going to like, just, just give them another try. And just now, to I make sure that you really don't like them. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'm like, they're going to go in the trash anyway. I might as well try to taste Incredible. them. <laughs> All right, guys, it's that time again. My favorite time of the episodes. It is La Hora de la Cervecita. I feel like and she, I feel like you make the this segment come sooner and sooner every time. Every time, right? <laughs> I know. It feels like it. I don't even ask what's up with you guys anymore. I just go right into the episode because I'm just trying to get to La Hora de la Cervecita. <laughs> All right, what are we drinking, girls? Well, it seems to me we are drinking a Beer Thug Life beer. Sarah's favorite, Sarah's introduction to Beer Thug Life, I think it was. She could not stop thinking about it, talking about it, wanting to drink it. And this is the seventh iteration of that beer, which is Cheers, motherfuckers. If you have not heard Sarah Crow about this beer, then you are not a Commodity Comics <laughs> constant listener because she talks about this beer every chance she can get. It's a West Coast triple IPA. It is 10% alcohol by volume. And apparently, Beer Thug Life wants you to know that Cheers Motherfuckers is a national movement started by Beer Thug Life back in 2018. Fast forward to 2022, six beers later, and they are introducing number seven with Beer Thug Brewing. Yes, back when we first met them, geez, was it in 2018? 2019? I, I think so, yeah. Wow, that was a long time ago. When we first met them, they didn't have a brewing company. They just were brewing. They were doing collabs with breweries and just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And now they have their own brewing company and they are brewing their own beers. And it is amazing. Oh, absolutely. They, if you guys know, I, like she says, I crow about it all the time, but they are brewing and are part of the border, border X brewing in the city of Bell. So there's two breweries under one roof and they're both Latinx owned and female owned as well, I believe. Yes. So I'm just excited. I 10% alcohol by volume. Yes. Gracias. You see. So. <laughs> So I'm just excited because it's Saturday and I feel like it's going to be just awesome. So let's give it a try, guys. I actually okay, poured me... mine into a glass. Oh, and it's, it's really pretty clear. Yeah, I was just going to say it's pretty clear. 
And when I was pouring it, I didn't have any issue with the carbon. You know how like uh, when you get mm-hmm. a lot of foam, mm-hmm. I didn't have that issue. So maybe it's low, low carbonation. Maybe. I don't know. Let's see. Well, I'm not high class. I'm not pouring mine into a glass at all. But as soon as I opened the beer, the bouquet of it just hit me. Definitely an IPA. There's no doubt about that. And it's making my mouth water. I remember trying it before and really liking it and then being on the constant search for it, never being able to get it again. And here we are with number seven, (laughs) where we finally, I I know you've gotten other ones, but I haven't. So where I finally have a chance to enjoy it once again. So let me, let me take a drink. Yeah, there was a re, a re I guess, what would we call it? A resurrection of it, a reincarnation uh-huh. of it. Mm-hmm. There was a reincarnation of the Cheers Motherfuckers. I can't remember what number it was, but it was a yellow label. Mm. And that one just blew my mind. And when I went back to go get like a four pack, they were all gone. Wow. So, but that one, I like, I still have in my high range. I was like, I had a can because I wanted to taste it. And then I loved it so much when I went back to get four pack, they were all gone. But Uh, that one was, I don't know what number it was, but was a cheers motherfuckers. And it was a yellow label. Since they're partnering with border X, does that mean they have this on tap over there? Could possibly mean yes. Well, the thing I like about this beer then I like the first time I tried it and then I am reminded of now is that it's a West Coast triple IPA. A triple IPA means that that is IPA hoppiness times three to me. And the thing I like about this beer is that there is little to no hoppy aftertaste from that like for me, anyway, that signature IPA aftertaste. And maybe that's what the West Coast thing is. I still don't know the West Coast from the regular coast from whatever IPA. So maybe that's something that I can look into. But I feel like I've had some West Coast IPAs and I'm just like, nope, not for me. But that's what I liked about the first one. This one, same thing. It's There's a lot of flavor and hoppiness at the front end, but no overwhelming for me after bitterness at the end. So I am, I'm actually really enjoying it. Yeah. It has like a crisp feel to it. Like very light. It doesn't even. Sit yes. It's very tummy. light for yes. an IPA, oh. which you don't say that a, a lot about. IPA. It's yeah. very light. Yeah. I think this, I don't know. Sometimes like, I feel like the passion coming through the beer we're drinking. And I feel like this one is, is, it's sort of up there, like with kind of like, I don't know if it's because it's maybe just freshly canned or whatever. I mean, it's just, there's a, there's a definite freshness to it and it's not heavy on your stomach. And also I feel I could have some fries with this beer and you know, I'm not about <laughs> I can it. eat with all my beers. What, <laughs> when did, where did you get this one from? I actually got this in Bell, at Border okay. X in Bell. Yes. Yeah. I got it a while back. I just didn't, uh. I did not. Well, you know, it's under rotation. We got a lot of beers that are rotation that are yeah, in our yeah. recording stash. I, but I'm I'm kind of really happy to have this right now because it's a Saturday and we usually record on a Sunday, and so yeah. it's a ten percent. So I felt like it's pretty pretty safe to drink it. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I work 
going to drink this. I'm not even going to ask, what are we drinking? I'm just going to let you guys know what we're drinking. So, I mean, I'm really loving it. I'm not certain what what kind of hops they used or even what kind of flavors are in it. But like you said, even the back matter is not like you said, sour or, or doesn't like aftertaste. Yeah. Is that, yeah. So Jen, what do you think about the beer? Well, I'm <laughs> glad that you, the both of you like it. It is way, way, way too hoppy and bitter for me. Kristen <laughs> said that. <laughs> But I took an initial sip and it was so cold that I didn't really taste anything. But the second sip, when I took it, I was just like, oh, yeah, nope, I can't do this. <laughs> so I do, I do feel like, though, that the first one we all really liked. And so I don't, again, there's been six in between. I don't know what changes have happened over the different ones that have been released. But this one, for sure, even though I like it, I I remember that the first one I liked way more. Oh, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> when we that we had that one, and it had been like a much more flavorful. Like God, what is? I'm trying to find remember what to compare to, but it, it had been flavorful. It had been hoppy, but not too too hoppy. This like look, they just blended the hops and said, "Whoop, here we go." <laughs> well, I'm continuing to drink it as we are talking about it and discussing it, and I am starting to get the juiciness of the flavor profile. It's definitely very sweet in the middle, and I can I can taste like pineapple kind of pineapple orange like but not orange like more like of a tangerine flavor some kind of citrusy flavor yeah man i would i really kick myself for not getting that re that one the one with the yellow label because that one was amazing my god that was just like my, i still remember it that's how good it was i'd be interested to know from him what's his name again sarah edgar Edgar, I would be interested to know from Edgar what changes he makes from from beer to beer to kind of play with it or but keep it still the signature beer that he started with. So next time you see him or talk to him, ask him these hard hitting questions. We need to know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're ready to actually rate the beer. Okay, so we do have a rating scale with with five point points on it, and actually starts with zero before we even get to one, which is flaccid. Then one is very unsatisfied, a two is unsatisfied, a three is neutral, a four is satisfied, and a five is very satisfied. So if it cannot even fit on the scale because it's so freaking good. We will give it a Super Saiyan. So I'll go ahead and get started. I'm going to give it a Satisfied. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. I really like it. It's really, really juicy in the middle. For a triple IPA, I find that very intriguing to me. And I definitely could eat it with fries, with pizza, with a fox in a box, wherever. And I I am kind of 
traveling away from IPAs a little bit. So this is definitely hitting me really hard too, because it is a 10 ABV, but I really like it and I would buy it again. So I'm going to give it a satisfied, a four out of five. This is Sarah and I'm going to give it a very satisfied. I really like the fact that it doesn't sit heavy on my stomach. It's definitely a triple IPA and I really like the freshness of it, like the lightness of it. I'm really loving that and the citrusy back flavor that I'm getting as it becomes room temperature. I think I'm really loving that. And also I wasn't, I wasn't at all turned off of the low carbonation on this on this reiteration of uh, cheers motherfucker. So that's kind of, that's also something to, that's also something I actually look into a lot. And like, it's, it's part of how I enjoy a beer is, you know, also part of it is what kind of carbonation does it have? Is it high carbonated? Is it low carbonated? No carbonation kind of thing. You know, that, that is something that I look, look at when I drink a beer and this one is low carbonation and I still feel that it's refreshing and crisp. So very satisfying for me. Jen, what about you? I'm going to give it, I'm not going to give it a zero (laughs) because it's very obvious that you guys do enjoy it. And I am like, I did this entire time. I've been like trying to take sips to drink it. And it is like, if it's something that I liked or that if you really like bitter, I think you'll really enjoy it. And also I keep thinking about that first time that we had this and i didn't actually like it so i'm i'm sorry but i'm just i am gonna give it a two <laughs> yeah no, I'm gonna give it a two that that's five. fair mm-hmm. after everything you said i definitely didn't think you were gonna even make it onto the board <laughs> <laughs> so that has been our beer review All right, guys, now it's time for our book review. What are we reviewing today? So today we are reviewing Isla to Island by Alexis Castellanos. And I am super excited to talk about this book because one of the things that caught my eye about it is that there are, there's no dialogue in this book. And so there is a description in on the back. It says Marisol loves her colorful island. Cuba is vibrant with flowers and food and people, but things are changing. The home Marisol loves is no longer safe, and then it's no longer her home at all. Her parents are sending her to the United States alone. Nothing about Marisol's new life is cold gray. Wait, hold on. Nothing about Marisol's new life in cold gray Brooklyn feels like home. Not the language, school, or even her foster parents. But Marisol starts to realize that home isn't always a place and finding her way can be as simple as staying true to herself. So this is a book for young readers by Anthenium Books, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. There is a recommendation for ages 10 and up. And it does say that there's also an ebook edition available. You can visit simonandschuster.net for a free downloadable curriculum guide to go along with this book. So that is the brief little description of Isla to Island. Oh, I am so glad you brought this to our attention and you shared this book for us to review on the podcast because this is actually the creator's very first graphic novel Mm -hmm. and it shares with us a story about Marisol 
and we could and and it's all just art and it's all just colors because colors in this book also are like a main character in the book because there are no words i mean there mm. are some words but there's no dialogue so the art and color palettes also are part of the story like a main character within the story and i was just like this was just amazing it is such an amazing book it's perfection to me i at the beginning i was just i didn't read the back matter because sometimes i i want to like discover it on my own before i mm-hmm. i dive into it and it just it just was just so rewarding and so satisfying and so emotional and so real and so i just i i don't I, it it totally drew out and you know this is not unusual for me to be emotional but this book was just extraordinary to me like i just was so emotional i i went on this journey with marisol and i thought it was just spectacular and the fact that it was just almost pure in its form because it's just the art it's just the the way the faces were drawn the way that certain scenes in the book were were drawn it was just it told a story like way beyond words and i know words are amazing i love words but telling a story in this format was just even more emotional and guttural and just your it's in your stomach it's in the pit of your stomach and it's just just it was just amazing that's how i feel what about you guys <laughs> So in a book that has no dialogue, the artist definitely has to rely a lot more on facial expressions and movement, or at least being able to depict movement. And just like you said, color and the use of color or lack thereof in the story was so, so well done. It highlighted how Marisol was feeling in those specific periods of her life and in her story. In the beginning of the book, we in just frames and pictures are introduced to a little history of when her parents met. Miguel y Zoraida in 1944 met in Cuba. In 1945, they were dancing their little hearts out at El Tropicana. And in 1945, also, they were partying with friends at the Zombie Club in Havana. They got married in 1948. And then they had little Marisol. And Marisol is already more than a baby and it has 1952. So then in the beginning of the book, everything is in color. And I, it, it was almost the opposite of Wizard of Oz, where in Kansas, everything is black and white and everything is dust bully and just dirty and, you know, and scary with the, with the neighbor and her little dog. And, it is just nothing but color and brightness when Dorothy lands in Oz. And this book did that opposite and had the exact same effect. But it, everything is bright and colorful. Her family loves to go to the botanic garden and pick flowers and have picnics. And they, Marisol has a, an affinity for collecting flowers. Her, her dad teaches her how to press flowers in books. And she loves going to the library. 
it's just so vibrant and beautiful in Cuba. And I actually, um, even though, again, there's no dialogue, I learned a lot historically about stuff going on in Cuba. I was Googling stuff and uh, I was like, okay, what's going on here? And just like, there was a little piece of paper that said something on it. I'm like, what is that? And so I Googled it. So I actually learned some things about Fidel Castro's reign and about things that were going on during that time and what people were doing and how even the United States became involved that I did not know. So we see the rise of of Castro in the book and it's definitely you can see how Marisol's family and her parents get increasingly worried because the violence seems to become increasingly closer and encroaching more and more on their daily lives. And so apparently what I learned was that there was something called the Peter Pan project that the, that the children of Cuban citizens were sent over to the United States to escape the increasing violence that was going on during Vidal Castro's reign. And I had no idea this, that this was a thing. And not only was this project existed, it was started by a Catholic priest and it saved thousands of children who were brought over and from that, but some of them unfortunately and sadly did come over to situations that were, were not that good either. I was reading some information about how some of them actually got only placed into juvenile hall detention centers for for delinquent children. Some of them were placed, as we know, that a lot of a lot of foster children get placed into homes that are just as violent as the homes that they've escaped. Some of them had family members here in the United States that they should have been placed with, but the program got it mixed up and they sent them to just live with strangers. So there were a lot of problems with the program, but there were also, at the end of the day, it was a program whose original goal was to try to save these children. And I guess that even that the United States started actually funding it. And even the press started, not started, in they agreed to not report on it because the important thing was to keep this program out under the radar from Fidel Castro yes. so that he wouldn't yes. know about it, so that he wouldn't stop it, so that he wouldn't prevent these children from escaping Cuba. And so I just thought that that was amazing and super interesting. And the writer in the back matter actually juxtaposes that situation against what's happening to the kids who are being locked in cages and people just not caring about what happens to them and saying that they deserve what they got and the parents should have known better and that that the parents deserve to get their children ripped away from them. And such a different just different environment politically here and just horrible to know that something that was to save children from such a horrible situation in their home country was so highly supported here in the United States as opposed to what's going on now. Like that just really was very eye-opening and really interesting to me. So this book taught me a lot. And the the story itself, the way, like I said, when she comes to New York, I can't even imagine being an 11, 12-year-old girl traveling by myself 
to live with people that I do not know, who do not speak my language, who don't understand a thing I'm saying. And I'm sent to this school where nobody knows what I'm saying. And in fact, they make fun of me at every turn and bully me because I'm different. Like, Thinking, I mean, we're reading Marisol's story, which the writer says was heavily based on the writer's mother's story, her immigrant story. Mm -hmm. But imagine just all the immigrant, not just children, but immigrants, period, of being treated like that. But even more so children being treated like that in the schools here. And it's just the way that the color just completely disappears from the story when she comes to New York is to just, it really like it, it gave that like emotional, like, like, I don't want to say like extra emotion of just, she was in her home country. She loved it. It was beautiful. And then nothing but gray, dark and gray, except for the one little flower in her hair that her, her dad put in her hair that she was able to bring with her. So, I just, I mean, there's so much more to say about this story and about how it evolves and how, you know, she learns, she learns to teach herself English and, you know, she, she learns how to bring a little bit of her culture into the world that she's living in here at the United States. But I honestly, a hundred percent did not think I was going to be affected as much as I was from a book that had no dialogue. Absolutely. I completely 100% agree. It just took me to a place that I haven't been in a long time. And it was just so just God, it was just, and, and the, the thing of it is, it was all just pictures. It was all just drawings. It was mm -hmm. not like nothing of dialogue. It was just like, like you said, little clues in the, like a little ticket or a little piece of paper that had some words on it. And then you kind of went from there. And what, one of the things that I was just like, you know, cause I mean, and, and this goes for it, this trespass, uh, this it goes beyond just the story was the part where like the foster mom went and tried to brush Marisol's hair and she mm -hmm. broke the comb in her hair. I, I was laughing actually at that part because you don't know how many combs and brushes my mother has broken off in my hair when I was a kid. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, um, I mean, my heart cries for that thick hair now, now, now that I'm 50. <laughs> my right? hair is no, so I, thin. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. But it's the little things, like it, 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 those little moments in, in the whole thing. That, that moment when she got her period and oh, yeah. she was trying to wash her sheets. And then this is, mind you guys, this is back in the 50s. So they're trying to communicate with no words because obviously there's a language barrier. And the foster mom has to actually put on the, the Kotex belt and put it on herself to show her, to show Marisol how to put it on. So most listeners are going to hear you say the words Kotex belt and have no freaking idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so let me give you a little explanation. So back in the day before technology was like, Hey, let's make these pads sticky on one side so that they don't move around in a woman's underwear and cause a mess and create havoc. 
Before that happened, they actually had elastic bands that clipped on to almost like a garter belt, a garter clip clipped on. They're like, what's that? <laughs> you know what that is because you wear it to be sexy at the club. Okay, so the little, the little, the little clips clip onto the front and back of the belt and hold it into place. And you basically stepped into it like a pair of chonies with the belt in the middle. I mean, the belt, the pad in the middle and the belt literally around you like a belt. So this was, this is what women in the fifties and sixties had to deal with people. And even back then, like, I don't know when tampons were created, but when tampons were first created, it was like a sin to some to some people, some religions, some ideologies to be sticking something inside of your vagina because of the whole, you're not a, you're not a virgin anymore stigma. So we've come a long way. Like I wanted to give money solo a period cup and be like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Marisol. We've, we've come a long way from the freaking, uh, menstruation belt uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah Incredible. No, I mean, it's those, those little things that just kind of like and even in the art like when her foster mom took her to the botanical gardens in what is it called in new york or in the bronx there's a moment where marisol is so happy that when she looks into her the eyes of her foster mom her foster mom's eyes are green so mm-hmm. the introduction of color was so mm-hmm. significant and emotional in that panel like it's the little things that really pr- propel this story yeah. and just elevate it to some amazing. This is amazing. It's such a gift. I think this story is such a gift. What do you think, Jen? I think you guys covered everything. It was, I wouldn't even really say that. Okay. There's no, no spoken dialogue, but there's still, there was so much well-placed like newspaper article headlines and the, and like background, like noise and stuff like that. There, it did a great job of telling the story that it was trying to tell. While I think also trying to emphasize the the, the trauma of being separated, yes, and how a child would process that. Of course, like the first part being like it's it's brightly colorful and stuff like that, but you're still young enough. You don't even really remember the conversations that you had. And then the middle where it's like dark and gray and there's still no dialogue. But this now this dialogue is just like I just couldn't talk. I couldn't I couldn't speak to the world that was surrounding. And then finally, towards the end, when we do actually get a little bit of dialogue, I, I, I really liked how. It was split into these sections and the progression of them as well, because it all felt incredibly fluid. But you guys covered most of it. It was really good. I really liked it. Part of the story, too, here, when she's here in New York, she discovers the library. And her discovery of that was so amazing. And the way that Alexis actually portrayed it, where Marisol just happens to be walking down the hallway and she sees color emanating from this girl's book bag. And she goes to chase it and to to reach it and try to touch it. And it just, it, 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 it escapes her. She isn't able to. And she keeps getting glimpses of it. 
until she finds the library. And when she goes into the library, she just sees the color again coming from books and she gets so excited. And so the librarian actually becomes a big part of the story because now she is the person who is able to provide Marisol with a bit of her past, a bit of her culture, a bit of her home, but also a way to start to understand and learn more about her new home. And so I thought that was really amazing the way that that was done. And you get an extra special something cool at the end of the book because one of the books that the librarian gives to Marisol is a book called Mata Hambre, which is a recipe book of Cuban food. And at the, and I really thought that was cool too, part of the story because now she still has a, a language barrier with her foster parents. And so, and we've talked about this a lot in our podcast that one way to share culture and to just share familial, not just your, your country's culture, but your familial culture. Every family has their own culture of what they eat at certain meals. Samadhi so Soul was able to take this book home with her foster mom and they start cooking together. And you could see that their, their relationship is growing and getting a lot more meaningful. And part of Marisol being upset and sad was her kind of like picking at her food when she first got here because it just wasn't appetizing to her. But then when they start making Cuban food, the whole table just lights up in color. And I thought that was really cool. But what I was going to say is you get special at the end of the book. It is an arroz con pollo a la, what is it, chorera? From Marisol's Kitchen, you get a recipe for arroz con pollo. I don't know what a la chorera it means, though. That's maybe a regional thing. Like, this region of arroz con pollo is like this. Sort of like Uh, mole uh poblano. I I did not realize this. when I I thought that mole was only existing in Puebla. It turns out there's many other different moles. There's even a Uh green one that I had no idea about. But I think it's a regional thing. Got it. So yes, so you can make Marisol's arroz con pollo because there is a a recipe in the back and it gives you specific instructions that says for best results, cook with Cuban music playing and a trusted grown-up nearby. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I I also appreciated the the information about the Operation Peter Pan and the author's note. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I really loved was she she said they leave everything and often everyone they know and love behind to simply have a chance, a mm-hmm. chance to give their family safety, security, opportunity, a future. They survive living in a country that does not love them. And despite that, they find corners of their lives to fill with joy. And honestly, from all the immigrant people that I've come across and talked to, that's all they want is they want to just provide for their family, send back money, just work, just stay under the radar in a country. They don't know the the language. They don't know the rules. They don't know, like, honestly, like I, I came across people who didn't even know how to use a, a can opener because they didn't have mm-hmm. that in their country. That's kind of a luxury. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. 
not the machine one, just the manual one was a luxury. Yeah. Like what? And so, uh, I really think I know because I know because I, I also felt this sometimes. Like I know that if you come across somebody that does not know the language, it doesn't mean that they're dumb or less than they just do not happen to know the language. And I think we should be a little bit empathetic because the, you know, they're, you say, oh yeah, they're here. They're just taking our jobs and they're here and they're, you know, they're illegal, go back home, whatever. But they sacrifice so much, leaving everything behind. Everything, everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, damn it. I can't live without like certain shit in my life, you know? And if I left everything, that would probably not be part of my life. Like I'd have to come mm -hmm. with the clothes on my back and a backpack filled with hopefully clean underwear and a sandwich, you know, <laughs> seriously, like <laughs> honestly, like you should really empathize for these people who have the courage to try to discover a better life for themselves and for their families. And mm -hmm. God, I, I wish that people would think that way instead of just having so much hate in their heart. And I think this book can help people understand that. Anyway, absolutely. Getting emotional, pedaling back, <laughs> bringing it back. Let me take a sip of my beer. But are we ready to actually rate the book? Yes. So this is Kristen, and our rating scale is a three conchas scale. And if you're wondering why three conchas, Kristen, it's because Jen's mom, that is the most conchas that she was ever able to eat in one sitting, was three conchas. So for Jen, three was the epitome of amazing. So for me, on my three point, I'm sorry, my three conchas scale, I'm giving it the whole panaderia and... A plate of arroz con pollo because it is just that good. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. And I really appreciated Alexis giving, when she was giving her acknowledgments, she found the right people to support her and to help her make this book the way she wanted to without words. And I could see how that actually would be a hard sell. It would be a hard sell to be like, yeah, hey, I'm going to tell a whole story and there's not going to be any in it, but it's going to be a good story. So I could, I could <laughs> see how that would be hard to sell. And I'm so thankful that she found the right people to support her in doing that because this book is amazing. So the whole panaderia and the play of Arroz con Pollo. This is Sarah, and I'm also going to give it the whole panadilla and a plate of arroz con pollo. Most absolutely, definitely, this book is a gift. I, like I said, I was just so just, gosh, I, I don't even know how to say. I mean, I wish I had the right words, but it just, it was just so amazing to me. I, I think like I, like I can say, you don't even have to read it. Just get it, buy it, <laughs> share it, you know, like, you know, like you don't like words. Oh, that's okay. Just look at the pictures and it just make, it just feels, make, made me feel some type of way. So absolutely. I really completely agree with you like this and being her first graphic novel. My God, this just blew it out of the park. Like, I don't, I don't know. What, what, what happens now? Does she go down from here? Because it was just so up there, so amazing, such a gift. So I'm looking forward to reading or just seeing there any other work that she has to offer or is going to have published. That was my review. What about you, Jen? What do you think about the book? So 
I'm going to give it three coaches as well. And I really enjoyed it. It was good. I think it was, it's a good way to, you know, like also like kind of like teach history. So I'm going to give it tres conchas. So if you're interested in learning more about Alexis, you can go to her website at Alexis Castellanos. That's A-L-E-X-I-S-C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-O-S.com. Just be grateful she didn't put any middle names. And you can follow her on Instagram at AlexisC.art. That's alexisc.art on Instagram. And let me see. I want to make sure. Yes, it's alexisc, not dot. It's underscore. It was coming up weird on, on my phone. It's alexis, so A-L-I-A-L-E-X-I-S-C underscore art. All right, guys, it's time for En La Libreria. Jen, what do you have for us today? So today I have Hairology, a celebration of hair. It is a comic anthology all about hair with a forward by Gail Simone. Natural hair, balding, transitioning, body hair, cancer, dye, and more. So this is the kind of synopsis that they have right here. Kat Kalamia. Phil Falco and Jamil Rouser unite to bring you a brand new comic book anthology, Herology, with a foreword from the legendary Gail Simone. There are 20 plus involved creators with the likes of Sterling Gates, Sarah Lucanen Halilovic, Tilly and Susan Bridges, Mary Crispus, Aaron O'Neill Jones, Brant Frowler, and Salome Lance, no, Luce Antoinette, and many more. Everybody has their own unique and deeply personal relationships with their hair, so we wanted to create a platform for creators to tell their diverse stories. Collecting 12 original stories, Herology tackles diverse topics including natural hair, cancer, transitioning, body hair, dye, balding, and locks across a wide spectrum of genres, which include action, slice of life, dystopia, and even werewolves. Wow. <laughs> It has a goal of $18,000 and it is currently at $9,360 with 280 backers and 19 weeks to go. You can always pledge without a reward. You just want to show your support. But on here, the base, and it, it's, I believe, yeah, six comic PDFs in the book. It's not the Herology book itself. At $10, you get the digital copy of Herology along with the MD comic book bundle. And then at $20, you get, I believe, the physical copy. Yeah, with cover A of Herology. So the physical book is $20. And it comes with the physical book, the digital book as well, and that indie comic book cover. And then at $35, you can get the variant cover. And then there are different other covers as well, all at different prices. And the price keeps, I believe they have a re exclusive and they have a kickstarter exclusive metal cover so that is interesting yeah but it looks really cool looks really interesting all of the people who were listed and who are making and like editing this anthology are all comics book people so the like it's it's got a very nice kind of what's the word i'm looking here production team yeah there we go so they know what they're doing yeah so yeah it's hairology h a I-R-O-L-O-G-Y on Kickstarter. 
Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about how the comb broke in Marisol's hair on <laughs> that, on the book Isla to Island. So yes, we all have hair stories. And the fact, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a thing. I mean, like, Maybe it's a woman thing, I believe, like a female kind of thing, because, well, no, it, it's a man thing, too, because then they co are concerned with balding and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's it's a real story. It's a real thing in our lives. It's something that we don't necessarily, like, always think about. But when we do think about it, we think about it a lot, our hair. I mean, honestly, us plucking and, and shaving and, like Kristen said, I miss the you know the abundance of air I used to have and now that I'm older it's thinning out but that I mean I'm excited to read that anthology I mean I definitely am I I always like seek out hair stuff like there's a a, a horror story about hair being one of the main characters in this horror movie on on Hulu and anyway yeah hair it's a big deal it is <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, now it's time for Juntos y Fuertes. Kristen, what do you have for us today? Okay, so our segment Juntos y Fuertes is a segment where we highlight projects or organizations or other creators who are members of marginalized groups who we believe should be uplifted. And today I am sharing with you the very cool and exciting upcoming Black Nerds Expo. It is February, which is Black History Month, and February 25th we are are going to see Black Nerds Expo. It is an uh, a like a convention, an expo where attendees can explore and celebrate Black comics, books, art, video games, pop culture, content creation, science, tech, engineering, and math alongside like-minded individuals. It is going to be held at Mira Costa College in Oceanside. And it is, you can get your tickets on Eventbrite and they are absolutely free. This organization, this organization, this expo is free and the first 100 attendees to register are going to receive a raffle ticket for prizes. So again, this is, uh, Black Nerds Expo. It's going to be held Saturday, February 25th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Mira Costa College. You can go to, you can go to San Diego Reader. Dot com to look up more information. You can look it up on Eventbrite or you can just Google Black Nerds Expo and it'll give you all the information you need to attend. That sounds super awesome. It is actually an hour and 40 something minutes from us. So hopefully we can make the event, but it sounds really amazing. And science, really? They're going to have science stuff too? That's kind science. of awesome. <laughs> science. <laughs> All right, guys, now it's time for saludos. And who are we saludando today, Kristen? 
Well, today we are giving saludos to Fayon Cooper and Kareem Burton. Who are those people, Kristen, you may be asking? Those are are the owners of Black Star Collectibles. Black Star Collectibles is a comic book store that focuses on highlighting Black creators and characters. And it's not just in comic books. They have like a great pop collection of artists and movie stars and characters from TV shows. And they are a Black-owned business, and they're really focusing on highlighting Black voices in pop culture. There are two. They started with one during the pandemic, no less. They opened their very first shop in Carson, California. They're located in the South Bay Pavilion Mall, and that's at 2700 South Avalon Boulevard. But since then, they have opened a second location in Long Beach. So if you're in the LBC, you should head down to the Pike Outlets in downtown Long Beach. And that's at 95 South Pine Avenue. Two locations that you can go to and support this Black-owned local comic store. Yes, you can follow them on Instagram at Black Star Collectibles. And also, they also have in-storage signings in the Carson location. They had Greg, from that creator of Iznana, the Were Spider. They also had Comics co-founder, founder of Concrete Comics. He came down also to sign at Black Star Collectibles. So follow them on Instagram because they have a lot of different signings and they support a lot of black creators and they're just really awesome. I had a chance to speak to them. Every chance I am in Carson, AKA ghetto mall, because that's what we <laughs> called it back in the day. <laughs> Actually, honestly, the mall is on the um, kind of like the border between Compton and Carson. So a lot of the Compton people go into Carson Mall. They've done a a lot of great things there and Black Star Collectibles is one of them. We do not have a comic shop in Compton yet, but the nearest and closest one always pops up is Black Star Collectibles and they are such an awesome crew. They have a great Instagram and they have really great employees that will talk to you and help you with with any questions you have. From what I have seen, they are the owner, the only people that I know that have a Harriet Tubman Vampire Slayer trade paperback for sale at the shop. So I'm just like, "Mm, I don't know. Do I want to drop $200 on it? Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, (laughs) follow them on Instagram. You won't regret it. They're really great. So that has been our saludos. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of this episode. Where can they find us, Kristen? You can find us and all the information about us on our website at commoditycomics.com, where you can find links to all of our social media platforms. And also, don't forget to follow us, like, and subscribe on our YouTube channel, where we share with you our segment called Las Plácticas, where we interview creators all about their amazing projects that they have and have had. So you can go all the way back and listen. Listen and watch a lot of creators that we have interviewed over the years. Absolutely. Yes, we do have a TikTok and a Twitter. Also, you can always email us for sure. Thanks for reaching out for everybody. Thank you guys all for listening. Also, we'd like to let you guys know that we are 
actually, not all of us, but just myself, is going to go and be at the Modesto Junior College West Campus at Mary Stuart Rogers Building, March the 17th through the 18th. That is a free event, and it's the Latinx Comic Arts Fest. Yes, we are back. We're going to be there. We're going to have some free swag. So if you're in the Modesto area on March 17th through the 18th, come on down take pictures with us talk to us stickers buttons whatnot hope to see you there also Kristen where are you going to be at yes so that reminded me I'm like oh yeah I'm going to be somewhere too I am going to be at the Arizona Comic Book Arts Festival in Arizona at the Phoenix Shrine Auditorium on February 25th. I'm going to have a teeny little spot on Eddie's table to be able to share stickers and cards and swag that we have regarding the podcast. I might have a couple of books there for sale, but I'll be there and you can come stop by and say hi. We are going to be again at the Arizona Comic Arts Festival on February February 25th at the Phoenix Shrine Auditorium. All right. That has been the end of this episode where your host, I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. And that's on period. Network. <laughs>